live from Amity Island here on the 4th of July. This is Austin Danger Podcast, your number one source for all Austin Powers and Austin Powers related news, information, film analysis, and friendship, as well as a celebration of one of the great film trilogies of all time and the many, many, many talented people who helped bring it to us. Uh, as always, it's Kevin McKenzie here. McKenzie, how's it going? Pretty good. You killed that opening. You were like clockwork with that opening now. I'm getting there. We're getting there. Oh, I'm so excited. Big week. Exciting week. Huge week. Well, should we just, should we dive into what we watched this week before we get into the big, the big main, the main event? I think we probably should. What'd you watch? Well, first off, I finally, finally watched Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Nice. Um, which has been totally transformed into a story about the way that neighborhoods are changed even today in New York City. Mm-hmm. The way that communities are forced out of one place and displaced into another and the clash between them. Uh, Really brilliant stuff from Tony Kushner on many, many levels here. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Ariana DeBose, you know, uh, wow, 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 wow. Future Academy Award winner. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Ariana DeBose. We'll tell you that for free. Um, (laughs) Rachel Zegler, who's brand new. I didn't realize how new she was. She is brand new, is fantastic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mike Faced, love him. Boy, boy, crazy boy. Stay loose, boy. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, There's only one problem. Oh, I I, I, read a Marino, you know, at first I was like, ah, you know, it's the kind of cloying, cute thing I usually hate. I have to be honest. But I, I, I loved her in it, honestly. It worked for me in the end. Be lying if I say she didn't make me cry when she sang her little bitty solo kind of at the end there. Rita Moreno. I just, I love her so much. Yeah. She's so good. You know, at first with the Rita Moreno, I was like, oh no, is she just going to be here for this? And it's like a cute cameo. But they, without giving it away, they did find a way to weave her in in a way that felt natural and uh, in a way that felt new. Yeah, I agree. Um, the only problem with West Side Story. <laughs> so last week I was like, you know, giving a movie 4.5 is hard, but I had no problem giving this movie a 4.5 because everything around him is perfect. But in the middle of this story is a man named Incel Elbow. And he is just, he is just like a vacuum, a black hole of charisma. That's so bad. Mike Faced should have been Tony. Yeah. Now he plays Riff like, great, but but his Tony has like an, an earnest like man off the charts in my opinion. Would've I yeah. I mean it's you know I I think that it is impossible to not acknowledge like you know the allegations against him. Absolutely. How that he's a gross fucking human being outside of the movie. But even if he wasn't, this is just a disappointing and flat performance it's so bad and and I, I won't lie like some of the real life stuff peppered the way some of the scenes looked for me like the the bleacher scene which was beautifully shot and beautifully done felt creepy to me where because i'm <laughs> yeah, thinking sorry. like oh you groom underage girls and she looks much younger than you and my head just couldn't get out of it and um it sucks because for me, I ended up giving it three stars. I ended up settling on three stars because it is such a beautiful movie and I love so much in it, but so much of it counts on you liking Tony. Sure. Because if you don't like Tony, none of Maria's actions make any fucking sense. That's right. And I'm sitting here going, this man killed your brother. This man tried, his friends tried to rape your sister, basically. Like all, like, and, and you're standing by him and I, I know it's... You have to suspend your disbelief for the Romeo and Juliet type love, 
But for me, when the Tony and the Maria, when the Romeo and the Juliet are so endearing, it makes it easy for me to suspend that. And when you have a bad Tony, like Maria defending him makes no sense because <laughs> I'm like, girl, all for this boy? Right. No, you have to exactly make me right. believe that you would give it up for that boy. You have to make me believe that this boy is good enough to give up your whole family, your life, all your friends for this love. And he just doesn't pull that off for me, obviously. So it's just, oh, I just wish he there was a different person in that cast that could have performed that better. It really would have made the movie an all-timer for me, honestly. There were many. There were yeah. many. Uh, <laughs> needless to say, the allegations are, you know, absolutely are a factor. I tried yeah. to experiment with like, okay, well, I heard this was terrible. So let's try to divorce it for a second yes and even then in the vacuum of just the performance yeah he's got this like this scowl the most expressive he looks in the movie is at the end which if you know uh, (laughs) is is not a very emotive time for tony to put it that way um what else did i watch well i was looking for jaws ripoffs because i was curious you know i'm really coming around to the idea that jaws ripoffs are one of my favorite genres in film I love that. You know, there is an animal and it's threatening a town and the man who's supposed to stop it is feeling insecure about his ability to do so. Right. Uh, Alligator Mm -hmm. is the best one. I'll fight Mm. for this one. Alligator is the best one. But over the weekend, I watched Orca, the killer whale, (laughs) which is um, our, our, our friends at Bat and Spider did an episode on Orca. And it is just an absolutely bizarre story. I love that. Of a killer whale on the path for revenge. Um, these humans do a pretty awful thing to a killer whale. And uh, it's made an axe. It's dark revenge. Three and a half stars you gave Three it, and I a see. half stars. It's, uh, Look at you. 2.8 average. 2.8 average is a bit more accurate to the film objectively. <laughs> Who cares? I, I usually give movies like this three and a half stars because they are very good and very funny. Uh, there's one of the best fake houses in film is it one where there's a house on like a dock. You know, it's one of these houses where it's on stilts in the water mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, the orca took it out and it's this little toy dollhouse falling out into the water. It's incredible. I want to say there's four people on Litterbox who have orca in their top four. Yeah. Makes sense. I love that for them. Makes sense. Um, besides that, there is an elephant in the room. But we will, or should mm. I say, a giant red panda. <laughs> but I'll leave that to the end of the segment. Yeah. What you been watching? I, I mean, I had a, I had a big week. You know, I, I, I re, did a lot of good rewatches. I rewatched the Batman. I rewatched Thelma and Louise because seventy millimeters covering it. Um, rewatched Jaws, like a bunch of five bangers in a row. We watched um, Jaws. <laughs> but uh yeah i guess the big thing i watched i watched that new uh amazon documentary lucy and desi oh yeah um which i gave four and a half stars because i really loved it might be too high i think objectively but it really moved me and i you know i thought it was a really wonderfully all-encompassing view of the love between them as well as the hardships and the complicated feelings between the two of them you know they had a very complicated relationship i don't know if it got super deep deep into it but it was still it's hard not to compare it to the shit show that is being the ricardos and i think that that is why my rating (laughs) is probably high 
because I'm watch. I left being the Ricardos thinking, I wish this was just a documentary. Sure. And then lo and behold, Amazon, the same company produced this documentary. So I, I I think I put in my review, you know, Amazon produced the antidote to the poison uh, (laughs) of their own making because truly, I mean, it's Amy Poehler directed it. I thought it was really well done. They had all these, um, their kids were involved in it. So, so Desi Jr. And Lucy, Lucy Jr. They were both part of it. And, they had these amazing old voice recordings of Lucy just kind of telling the story of her life that they used to like narrate the the story. Whoa. It's like amazing. Like old recordings of Lucy and and Desi and amazing clips they show you just like sometimes she'll just put a three minute clip without cutting of I Love Lucy just to show you how talented these people were. And it was just really it was wonderful. If you left uh, being the Ricardos, wishing there was a more objective view and a and a and a more succinct view, you have to check it out. Like it's just it's really good. It it made me um, hate being the Ricardos more, and it made me appreciate this documentary <laughs> a lot. And then yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just I watched a bunch of random stuff. I watched Set It Off today. Mm. Freaking loved it. The Cinnanauts pod. I don't know if we've shouted them out yet, but they're an amazing pod. And they're covering that as a part of their latest journey. Uh, and I loved it. It's my favorite genre of film, which is women shooting people and stealing money, um, a.k.a. Bound, Thelma and Louise, and now Set It Off uh, fits into that category of film. And um, it's been a long time since I've had a movie where I cared this deeply about the characters on the first watch. Just an immediate love I had for all these characters and... I cried like three times during it. Whoa. It was just like real. It was really moving. Like it, it's it because I cared about those characters. It made seeing their joys all the more joyous, but it made their pain hit me harder because I really cared about these characters. And I was like, man, this is a, this is a fucking great movie. So shout out to the Cinnanauts. Uh, everybody go watch Set It Off. It's on Tubi for free. <laughs> so well, you sold me on that. I have to check that Tubi. out. Tubi. Well, I have some news for you. Set it off future episode of austin danger podcast <gasps> it connects it connects Fuck yeah oh my god it's so good it, it connects to international man of mystery my favorite kind of connection because there's no more work <laughs> that has to be done but hey you know i think my favorite thing i did watch this week was turning red yeah let's break it down first thing friday morning you know i was all over this it's so it's so good. I can't get over how good it is. I, I didn't think I I don't even know what I was expecting. I didn't even see a trailer. I just start I just put the movie on because other people were watching it, and I loved it so 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 much. It's great. It's just awesome. It's the kind of thing like, you know, you could have thought based on the last couple of years, just saying, hey this one looks like a Disney movie and this one looks just like a Disney movie too. And this one's kind of a retread of inside out. And this one, not a lot really happens in it. And you could get concerned about thoughts like that. You have while you watch the last four or five Pixar movies, um, not including sequels. Right. Um, (laughs) But this is like the voice is refreshing. It's a very intimate and personal yet universal movie about things we all know and understand, especially our generation. Uh, The, Again, that style is just superb. Yeah. It's a movie set in Toronto. When does that happen? Shout out to the I film love hags it. and I catcher. Love it. It's <laughs> the film hags and catcher. It's so good. It's so amazing. And yeah, I'm really over like just the racist. The racist reviews being like, um, wow, this <laughs> not a very personal story for me. And it's I'm like, 
it was it felt universal the specificity makes it universal because i can see this story that yeah sure i don't you know my my family isn't a part of a temple my family doesn't have this connection my family doesn't have this culture or history but i know what it's like to go through puberty and i know what it's like to have a mom <laughs> and to have this growing up experience of like oh my god my mom is a human being and not always just like this mom she she was a child who grew up and like i should love her and all of her faults for that like it's it is relatable as hell and i'm so over all these weird bullshit reviews and people also freaking out about it talking about periods like once in the beginning and everyone's losing their minds as if that's not just what bodies do it's oh god i'm over the weird backlash of this movie because it is nothing but delightful and beautifully made i'm over it yeah i'm I gonna mean... fight everybody in the streets i'm gonna everybody <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you have an issue with turning red meet me in the streets and i will fight you right now i mean i don't know I, I, I agree, right? I have nothing to add on that. I think you pretty much nailed it. But can <laughs> I add, can I just add, and I've been waiting please. a week to say this. <gasps> Do um, it, please. I saved it for Austin Danger podcast. <gasps> Thank you for giving me this exclusive with you. Think about where these reviews are coming from. <clears throat> How often have you gone to these places? Hmm? A pretty good chance that this is the first time you've heard of <laughs> for example a website i only know to be junky clickbait designed to make you mad anyway so mm-hmm. i don't understand what we're like i understand the anger towards it and i get it and i feel it and i understand it and i did watch the same movie as everyone else and it's um you know even if you didn't fully relate to it i think there was plenty in there to enjoy like objectively yeah. uh come yeah. on, like i know enjoy subjective objective is, is a clash but Hear me out on this. Um, no, I agree. When you do this, you give them a platform. What are we doing? I don't know. I don't know. I uh, This is the last time anyone will care about this place, for sure, for example, specifically. Not to pile on, but uh, <laughs> yikes. 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 All Major around. yikes. Um, well, hey, the yikes won't take away from the fact that this is a great movie, and I am excited to rewatch it. I want to rewatch yes. it a bunch. All right. If that is all. That's all. Folks, it's the moment you've been waiting all show for. Whoop did news. What does it all mean, Basil? Mike Myers is back. I cannot believe it. He's been talking about it. He was on the Today Show earlier this year, kind of talking about it. We mentioned it in brief. We didn't think it was coming that soon. Then all of a sudden, uh, as if he heard us, Mike Myers got an Instagram <laughs> that has only been posting about the Pentaveret in the most obvious Marketing 101 ARG speak. Yes. Then at 5.55 P- uh, PST, Pacific Standard Time, uh, the other night, I forget which night it was, the trailer <laughs> was know. revealed and we saw Mike Myers returning to a bunch of different characters alongside Ken Jong and others in the Pentaveret, which is a new miniseries that is coming to Netflix on May 5th. How are you feeling? Are you hype? Are you are you iffy? How are you feeling about the Pentaveret based on the trailer? I have not seen much of like didn't see the Love Guru, didn't see, you know, this and that. I'm always here he for my lot, guys. Though. I'm always here for my guys, and Mike Myers is mm-hmm. one of my guys. So guys, of course, being 
uh, gender neutral in this context. Yes. <laughs> a lot of girls are my guys, et cetera, and not minority people, <laughs> et cetera. It's an inclusive space. Uh, am I optimistic about it? I'm going to go in with an open mind. Yeah. No, um, same. I, it was kind of interesting. Like, I guess in my brain, he is so in a ni- late 90s, early 2000s space for me. Because growing up, that is how I experienced Mike Myers. And that is like my, you know, I mean, Austin Powers. That was really like how I experienced him. And um, if I went back, it was, you know, to look at older stuff. So like he's in such a 90s box to me. It was sort of surreal to see him in a trailer that feels very 2022. Like it was a, yes. it looked like a 2022 Netflix trailer. Like these like epic music and, and high quality filming. And I just was like, wow, Mike Myers is in like a, a new thing. Like it just kind of was, it's a little surreal. Like I'm, I'm actually kind of just excited because I'm excited that we have it to talk about. Right. And like I... It's just kind of surreal to me that he is going to be a part of something doing kind of his 90s shtick in 2022. And I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping it sticks the landing and I'm, and I like him as a person. So I think it will. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see the characters. I, I'm very optimistic. You know, here on Austin Danger podcast, we love Mike Myers. Yeah. So why wouldn't we want to root for him? And uh, we hope you guys are all excited as well. I think we can announce formally that we will be covering it as an episode of Austin Danger Podcast. Yes. Um, So here's how this is going to work. We're stopping the wheel for two weeks in May. Mm -hmm. On May 9th, which is right after Pentaveret comes out, we're going to be covering the movie from which this is a spinoff. So I Married an Axe Murderer, one of Mike Myers' uh, first, his his first movie after, his second movie, his first after Wayne's World um, future episode. Ominous. I've never seen So I Married an Axe Murder, but I've seen that poster a million times. And I know it's very famous uh, in his in his oeuvre, so I've, I'm excited to see it. I've never seen it before. Yeah, I've seen the scene where uh, he's playing his own father who's Scottish. So he's doing this proto Shrek fat bastard Scottish <laughs> voice uh, singing Rod Stewart. It's pretty funny. So the father in So I Married an Axe Murderer believes in conspiracy theories, including the Pentaveret. So that's the connection there. Um the next week, May 16th, we will be reviewing the Pentaveret, the whole thing. So yep. here's hoping it's great. I hope it's great. <laughs> um, I, I think it's we'll only talk six. About it. I think it's only six episodes. So oh, that's nice. Not bad. Bite size. It's time. I think it's ready. Yeah. You want to get into this freaking episode, this main event. Folks, this is one of the biggies. I can hear the music now. I can hear it now. This is Jaws. Martin Brody thought he was going to make a difference in the world when he moved his family to Amity Island from New York and became the police chief there. But just days before the 4th of July, he finds that world completely upended as two people, uh, a girl and a kid, are killed in rapid succession by a rogue great white shark. Now, despite the warnings from Brody and the oceanographer Hooper, 
The mayor fights closing the beaches because the economy of the island relies so heavily on the 4th of July traffic. Eventually, however, something has to give, and Brody and Hooper hire the mysterious fisherman Quint to finally hunt the creature down. It's man versus beast on the 4th of July in Jaws. I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to say this. I'm going to start this out by saying every moment of this movie is perfect. <laughs> there was nothing wrong with this movie for me. And so I just want everyone to know that's where I'm coming from. I love this movie so much. I watched it for the first time, I think, like last year that's or the year crazy. before. I, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of blind spots. I have a ton of huge famous blind spots and I'm not going to lie, Spielberg is, like, as just a director, is, like, the source of my, my main blind spots. I didn't watch Jurassic Park until, you know, six months ago. That's right. Didn't watch Jurassic, you know, and, and I've never seen the Indiana, Indiana Jones movies. Like, he is the source of so many blind spots, which is kind of a, I love for this podcast that he connects because I can have an excuse to engage with him. But my partner randomly... She's not a movie person. She has like six movies she really loves. And then one day she was just like, oh, God, Jaws. It's, one of my, it's like my favorite of all time. And I, uh, and we've been dating for like almost five years. And I went, why do I not? Why have you never mentioned the Jaws? <laughs> what? The shark movie? And I was just completely confused. She was like, we got to watch it. Put it on. And I, my mind was absolutely blown with how incredible it is. And every time I watch it, I love it more. What is your history with Jaws? So Jaws was one of those movies where I saw it as a kid and then didn't really remember a lot of it. It is mm. the probably the second or third DVD I've ever I had ever seen behind like it was that The Matrix, another movie I didn't remember a lot of, but some stuff stuck. Uh, Spy Kids, because I was given that as a <laughs> gift. Weird. The thumb, the thumb people. And then Austin Powers one and two, of course. Nice. Um, so, yeah. I absolutely love this movie, and I agree. It gets better every single time. This time I watched in 4K for the first time, which looked absolutely gorgeous. Like, wow. Wowie, wowie, zowie. And it's more relevant than ever, sadly and insanely. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know? Yes. It's, in, it's incredible. I Yeah, I mean, that, that's a huge thing that's so interesting to me, the political aspect of this movie, because it is subtle. But it yeah, you're right. It is wild how relevant it feels, uh, especially watching this during a pandemic for the first time. I was like, oh, this is just the government right now about this pandemic. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> like, this is just literally the government that is currently happening in my life. Uh, the political aspect of this movie, I did not expect to be so relevant um, the first time I watched it and continues to be so as we as you know, the government is continuing to kind of wade out of this pandemic. We'll see. Amity means we'll friendship, see. right? The directing in this movie is incredible. Oh, yeah. I can't get over how young he was when he did this and how he was already so good. Because I feel like Steven Spielberg is a director that has such a big name and so many classic hits that I feel like people take for granted how good he is. I think that conversation has come up a lot with West Side Story. It's like no one's really talking about the work he did. But when you look at it, you're like, oh, my God, Steven Spielberg is straight flexing on you for two hours during West Side Story. And it's because he is so comfortable and he's so talented. He just knows, he just knows how to 
he's just he's incredible i feel like sometimes we take him for granted because he's just he's steven spielberg but like it is amazing to see how good he was this early in his career it's crazy to me it's it is amazing and a testament that that he can still surprise us right yeah like oh no big deal i'll just make the remake of west side story and you'll scoff at it the entire marketing cycle and then you'll forget to see it and then you'll look like a total idiot crazy it's just there's so much it's just like the pacing of it the tension the the way he holds back at these perfect moments and i know that like a lot of the um holding back on the shark right was i feel like it's pretty infamous that like the shark never worked and that it was this clunky piece of metal that like they could never get and so that's why there's all these scenes where they kind of have to creatively use the shark uh rachel's favorite is the dock right you don't even see the shark in that moment you just see that the dock it's carrying and the moment it turns around gives me chills and i know that it was a budget thing and i'm sure he would have liked to do it differently but because of the budget, because he had to be so creative, it gives you those moments of like, I think it works. It's what makes the movie good is that we don't see the shark really, really until the end. Like it, it the, the tension that he builds, the way he gives us these scenes without showing, he just kind of, oh God, when the freaking guy gets bit in the um, kiddie pool, I don't know what to call it. Yeah. You just see that underwater shot, like image. It's just amazing. Like he knows exactly how much to give you to keep you wanting more. How about that? How about number one, how gory this movie is now granted, yeah. granted that one, you know, um, fans of the film troll two will identify with the head they find <laughs> underwater. There's a certain goblin mask in troll two that looks exactly like that head. Right. Um, <laughs> and the leg is a little cartoony, but how about, my favorite and so chilling with absolutely no dramatic score under it. Uh, all of a sudden there's a kid on a raft and then it just gets messy over there and you're just watching it happen. I just got chills hearing you. This say movie that. is, was rated G. What? What are we doing? No, wasn't this movie rated PG or whatever? There was no, well, there was no PG 13 and it certainly isn't. I don't an R. know. So this movie, PG? this movie was like, oh, bring your, well, you know, Spielberg eventually is the guy, if you didn't know, who invents PG-13 because they uh, had a lot of problems with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is an extremely mm. dark movie about, like, uh, people eating hearts and all sorts of grim stuff. Oh, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. It's also not, not the best. But, uh, yeah, he's the guy who creates PG-13. So he started his career, essentially. This is his second or third movie, but like he started his career pushing the boundaries of what you could do in a movie. I was shocked all over again seeing that. Oh, God, you gave me chills just describing that. <laughs> I mean, that might be one of my favorite scenes. And the way, um, God, the way Brody acts that, I, I feel terrible, I can't think of his name. That scene is so chilling because we are Brody, right? We know right. the shark's there just like he does. And he's looking around and the way Spielberg is like, there's a dog on this beach. There's a kid on this beach. There's a late, like you, it's like you're playing this game with Brody of like, who is it going to be? Like you're seeing these people, these vulnerable people. And it is sort of like a game. Who's, who's going to be the one to get got. And when it's the kid, it's just so heartbreaking. And, and and yeah, gory. The, that image of the raft and the blood, of mm-hmm. uh, the foamy blood just washing back onto the beach, like it's disgusting and amazing. You know, and it's again like really speaks to how great TVs are these days. Also, that you can see everything now, um, in a way yeah, that maybe fifteen beautiful. years ago you couldn't. 
<laughs> How about Roy Scheider's uh, uh, line read of "That's some bad hat, Harry"? Some bad hat, Harry. Harry, what are you that. doing? I mean, he has all the best lines, right? He has the "We're gonna need a bigger boat," which is the line of this movie. I feel like. Also, I do love "Smile, you son of a bitch," which is great. <laughs> he has all the best lines. He's such an amazing actor. He plays Brody with such, I mean, like they're all so great in all, in different ways. The three main men, he mm-hmm. plays Brody with such a beautiful subtlety and a, um, a just deep uh, intensity that I absolutely love. I love Brody so much as a character. I love, um, I love how vulnerable he plays it also yeah. because, because the role is vulnerable, right? It's this guy who he's very, you know, very ambitious and he's going to go make a difference and he's this and that he's going to project strength and power when in reality uh, between the politics on shore and the the death at sea he has so little power um and, and he thought he was escaping from a system and as it turns out it's just a different system in a different way over here so he's now kind of powerless you know um uh, making making hand shapes at the kitchen table with his kid who's copying him right i was about to say that's one of my favorite scenes yeah and it's like what's that kid gonna grow up to be and you can see it all in his face jj um, abrams has a ted talk i can't believe i'm doing this uh where he references <laughs> that as well as one of the keys of like getting to really get in the head of a of a character i believe is the example it's uh, so it's such a sweet moment and i think one of my favorite like understated lines in the movie is when he give us a kiss why because i need it he's such a great character there was a i forget the name of it i gotta find it there's a bunch of jaws documentaries like so many of them and last summer when we watched it for the first time we watched these documentaries um and one of them stated that, like, that was just, a, like, the kid was just doing that on set. Like, Roy Scheider was walking around and the kid was, like, copying him, like, copying what he was doing, just, like, doing that. And Spielberg was watching him do that. And then he was like, I need to film this. Like, that's, I feel like that's the kind of director that is just, he sees it. He just observes. It's collaborative. He sees this kid doing this strange little thing. He's like, I want to, f- I want to film this. We need to film this. We need to make this a moment. It extends that scene in a way that gives it a deeper intimacy right. and a deeper feeling of love between this father and son. And it was just something that came up on set. Like that's amazing to me. It takes an amazing director, I think, to see those moments and say, it's worth taking the time to build this into the movie. God, he's so fucking. This movie is so good. It's I can't really get over good. it. <laughs> I love the way we meet Quint at the top and quint had it right the whole time he knew the solution the whole time he laid it out and they said no and then all that awfulness had to happen in the middle of the movie yeah quint is such a fascinating character to me he see he's so complicated and he goes to places i like every time i love watching all the places he goes because he's such a fascinating character He's a nut. You know, um, he's a nut. It just came up. Uh, I was listening to the 70 millimeter Jaws episode because, it, believe it mm. or not, we are not the only podcast to have covered Jaws. I thought we were the first ever. Are no, you kidding me? It's crazy we got to cancel the pod. It's over. Austin, goodbye. Sorry. If I can't innovate, I don't want to do a podcast. <laughs> You're telling me there's other movie podcasts? 
I have some news about the format of this we show have. that is going to blow your mind. <laughs> we have to cancel. I'm over oh it. Oh, my God. But, um, <laughs> but they did mention that the USS Indianapolis stuff had only been declassified a few years before Jaws was made, meaning that, like, that whole, first of all, that whole Quint story, that's a real submarine that that actually, that actually happened. The, the places this movie goes from, like, a horror shark attack movie to a like buddy road trip movie in the middle of it (laughs) the music the scoring everything about that middle section is like we're just pals going on a trip together and then it brings it right back down with this indianapolis story and grounds it into this like impeccably intense third act that i it's like it's crazy yeah that i that's wild I love the structure of this movie. I love that we get essentially like three or four different movies in one, right? We have the big yeah. shark story. We have the beach terror. We have the road trip out to sea to get Jaws. We have that final <laughs> battle. We have Brody's struggle with himself. We have um, Quint's redemption story as well. Hooper, will get to him, also involved. He's got kind of something going on. He's more supporting the rest. But um, yeah. We have Brody and the family and that situation. It's just uh, the layers of this works. film. Yeah. It, like there's some movies that have too much shit going on. They're trying to be too many different movies. And you're like, this is, this is disjointed and it doesn't make any sense. But this works so well. Like I, it's like, I can't imagine this movie being made today. I can't imagine anyone else making this movie, acting in this movie. I cannot imagine this movie ever being done at a different time and place with a different group of artists because it is so perfect the way it is. Um, it just works so well. I just can't believe how well it works. It's so like perfectly rooted in 1975 while also being evergreen in terms of like, you know, uh, a government is more concerned about income than about helping the people who live in it. Right. Yeah. That's what the movie is about. Um, that happens all the time, not just now. It happens all the time. I can't just the way that that is drilled down so that it resonates. It plays perfectly if you're susceptible to that versus like, you know, a lot of these ripoffs have kind of learned some of some of the things, but not all the things. So Mm -hmm. some ripoffs, for example, are just shark attack. Great. Fine. Some are just the quest for vengeance. Fine. Some are the sensitive story of the man, like Alligator, right? Where Robert Forrester is constantly being made fun of because he's losing his hair. And there's all these jokes about his hair. Yeah, but Jaws does everything and more better. It's insanity. It is It is wild. It's, it's, it's just because it's so grounded. I think that sometimes the ripoffs are just trying to bank on the excitement of the monster, the excitement of the attack and xyz and this just it it wasn't trying to be anything because it set the precedent there was nothing before it yeah so it wasn't trying to be anything it's not it was just it was just original oh original movies not that those don't exist anymore but it's just like this is such a brilliant example of just a original and unique artistry come to life it's crazy it is just wonderful um i have a question for you on this watch, on this watch, what was your favorite scene? Oh my god. Honestly, oh god, it's weirdly it was a t- I loved the scene of the the we talked about the beach scene when Brody is just kind of watching all of that happen and mm-hmm. you get to 
feel that fear with him. But for some reason also this time I was hit much harder by the beach reopening scene um, when they realized the shark is in the other the other pool, basically. That that horror is so visceral. Um, gave me utter chills. It's, it's, it's amazing to me that I've seen this movie like three, four times now and it still does this to me. And at that time, it just really stuck out to me and I don't know why. Like it, it was just this, like I said, the way the shark is shot underwater, that horror that Brody might lose his child. It was just like so amazing. And Ellen, I love, we haven't even talked about Ellen. I love Ellen Brody. I think she's a great character. I've not seen Jaws 2. I'm sure it doesn't compare, right? Because what could... But I do kind of love that I've heard that Ellen is a big focus of the second one. And right. I think she's a great character. And so, like, I'm excited to watch it one day. Um, what was your favorite scene this time? Um, I, I, would, I just want to say uh, she's in Jaws 2 and Jaws the Revenge and all four Link. So have no Hell fear. Yeah. We will do the Jaws journey on Austin Danger podcast. <laughs> yeah. I want it said right now. Hell yeah. Um, so big thing I noticed this time was the way that the camera is empathetic and feeling Brody's feelings, especially mm-hmm. during the shark attack scenes, right? The way yeah. that they cut around and the shots that are used uh, leading up to the the zoom is were just absolutely perfect. And it really put you in in the same visceral way you experience Jaws's point of view or Bruce or whatever the shark, you know? Um, mm-hmm. as you experience his point of view, which by the way is beautifully taught to us in the first scene. Yeah. Amazing touch. I didn't even think about it, but it's like, oh, we're being taught the language of the film right there, that that is Jaws. And when this music plays, that's, that's him. And we're, we're with him. Um, yeah. It, just in the same way we're with Brody on the beach. I think it's brilliant. My favorite scene in this watch though, there's a lot of moments in this movie where there are pregnant pauses where characters are sitting around waiting for something to happen. Um, too much of a stoner shower thought maybe, but like fishing. Is fishing and mm. fish hunting not just sitting around waiting for something to happen? <laughs> yeah. Case in point, um, the boy's mother. What's is the uh, Mrs. Kittner, am I right? God, that is Comes an amazing up to Brody performance. And it takes amazing her a minute and she smacks him across the face. And she says something like, I just found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway. You knew all those things. But still, my boy is dead now. And there's nothing you can do about it. My boy is dead. I wanted you to know that. It's so heartbreaking because I'm sitting here and I want to scream. He did. He he wanted to close it, but he can't say that because he knows it's not his place to do that to her. But it makes me want to scream because I'm like, he was a good man and he wanted to close it. And 
oh, oh, that scene. She is amazing in that scene. Exactly. And what good is any of that going to do? Because it's not going to bring her son back. But these are the things exactly. that, you know, the mayor in his little suit, his little amazing anchor suit, <laughs> which I love. But his whole wardrobe is incredible, by the way. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the mayor's not going to solve that. He doesn't, he doesn't really care. No. I mean, Brody could, you know, he could say, like, oh, I, I wanted to, and I wanted to, and the mayor, you know, and he could say all these things to appease his own guilt. But, in the, yeah, in the end, like, her son's dead, and there's, there's literally nothing else to do about that. And I, I think that is also a testament to Brody as a character because I feel like his restraint in that moment is so peak Brody. Right. It's so perfect for his character, his restraint of knowing his place in that moment and where he needs to be for her. And she needs that anger to go somewhere and he's willing to accept it because he understands what it's like to be a parent. And it's just like, I just think that that's a, he's, he is a phenomenal character. As we talk about him, he might be one of my favorite movie characters ever. Like I just love Brody so much. Another thing that really struck me on this watch that hasn't uh, other watches is Quint's journey with mortality, which I know it's obvious, but I guess it never struck me as much as it did this watch. Like he tells this story about the Indianapolis and all the people that died and there's that survivor's guilt, right? There's that PTSD and that survivor's guilt. And for me, this is, it jumped out to me, these two moments where when he's driving the boat and he's, he's pushing it too far, he knows he's going to break this boat. To me, I see in his face, he wants to break this boat. Right. He is at a point where he's like, someone is dying out here and it is going to be me or it's going to be this shark. Like in that moment, I see him accept, I do not, like I, if I die out here, I'm dying out here. You know what I mean? And, but then there's this moment when he's being eaten where it looks like he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to die because, and it just seems like I just saw this journey of this man who thought he had given up on his life, thought his trauma was going to swallow him whole. And then in the final moments, all he wanted to do was live. And it just, it really like ripped my heart out this time. I thought Quint was so compelling this time and he always is, but this, yeah, that that was something else that struck me for the kind of the first time this time was Quint's arc as a person. God, this movie's amazing. That is incredible. <laughs> sorry. That's, I just I'm rambled. just speechless, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just rambled. Oh. But either way, I mean, it's a testament. Again, like, we're saying a lot of things are a testament to a lot of things this week, but that's because they are. <laughs> and this is yeah. like, this really is that good of a movie. I love the um, the fact that the slasher tropes that are about to be established of horny teens getting punished by the killer of the movie Hmm. absolutely in line with Jaws, right? Yeah. Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, uh, Freddy to a lesser extent, the same kind well, Freddy's motive is different, but same kind of vibe. Any slasher yeah. in any amazing slasher movie is out to punish the horny kids, so that was pretty cool <laughs> that that tradition was kept. Um, I thought the girl screaming, it hurts, it hurts, was a little excessive, and I can't believe that guy missed that. Oh, her at the beginning? Yeah. Also, I also watched in 4K on my big TV, and I was like, now that you've mentioned it's PG, with the way my TV is lit, that shot coming up, I saw all of her everything, I feel like, in that I feel like I did. Like, she's fully nude. I was like, that's a naked person. And I just, I don't know. I was literally like, Rachel, I think I just saw this person's 
body <laughs> where i was not expecting um which i feel like probably did not track in the 70s with the way it was on film but at least on my big fancy 4k tv i was like um excuse me <laughs> so i was i was like aghast in that so maybe it distracted me because i was like is that just full nudity in a steven spielberg movie absolutely wild what a world that was <laughs> what a world the 70s baby I love the mayor in this movie. I think he's an amazing heel. I think the actor does just like a tremendous job. His wardrobe, as I've mentioned, is next level. Uh, just absolutely, absolutely amazing. Um, as a kid, I loved the Jaws theme park ride. I think it should be noted here to talk about this. Um, There's a Jaws theme park ride. There was. It's gone now. It was replaced by wah, wah, Harry Potter. It was like... Um, it was based on a studio tour portion in Hollywood where you would get on a boat and a real life tour guide would basically pretend to drive the boat, spin it around the, this like whole dock set. And then your boat would be attacked by Jaws. You should check it out on YouTube. That sounds horrifying. People did that? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a shark. He, uh, oh, he hits the, he, that's so scary. it's obviously a robot. Um, I feel like I have a vague memory of that, and I wonder if I went on it as a small child, and like, because I feel like I was taken to amusement parks when I was like four, and I don't remember anything about it. But who knows? I'll investigate. The Jaws ride is awesome. It was so sick. <laughs> it was basically a mini Jaws movie where you would, you know, the robot you would, would live Jaws. Yeah, the robot would like jerk forward, and then your boat would tilt, and it'd be wild. Now you get to just get butter beer, I guess. I don't Great. know. Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> great um we talked about a lot about quint um richard dreyfus very handsome oh yes i i want to look like him in this movie his fits his like denim on denim with them sweatshirts that's exactly how i want to be looking every day in my life kind of looks like spielberg with those glasses in this <laughs> yeah i was struck spielberg? by spielberg i posted it on our instagram today but that set shot of young hot spielberg shirtless laying in the mouth of the shark is one of the best pictures on the history of the earth. Everyone needs to Google this image of Spielberg on the set of Jaws. It's really good. Hey, something really subtle I picked up here. Um, when Hooper comes to the Brody's for dinner and uh, Brody is pouring the wine, Hooper is trying to correct him. <laughs> He's like, but let he, it breathe, let it breathe. But he just pours the wine like a person. I loved that. I thought that was such like an expert level character moment. For Brody, tremendous. Brody's great. Um, yeah, I mean, we pretty much covered everything else. I have here, TV reporter looks like Stephen Merchant. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought it was really powerful right before the guy's leg gets bitten off or however that goes down. The mayor mm-hmm. is literally dragging the city fathers down to the water. Like, like, you have to prove to everyone that it is safe. And not even this, I mean, the city fathers, they reveal their true colors that, of course, they would never go in the water because there's a shark in there. Yeah. But we have to have oh. it open so these schmucks can come in from out of town. <laughs> yeah. Um, that concludes my specific notes. It's a big movie. There's a lot going on. I mean, is it even worth doing final thoughts? I think it is blatantly obvious. Anyone can go on our letterbox and see what we feel about this movie. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Unanimous. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Unanimous. Yeah, baby. Yeah. And the streets were flooded with cheers and ticker tape (laughs) rained from the sky. (laughs) 
I just, I can't imagine giving this movie anything less. Uh, it's just perfect. It's a perfect movie. What a layup. What a, what a recovery from last week. <laughs> I went from one and a half to five, baby. <laughs> That's the dichotomy of man right there. That is how the show goes. <laughs> Do we got some segments? Yes. The book is creaking. The ship is sinking. It is time <sighs> for our segments. First, of course, I, I love, love gold. gold. Uh, Jaws won three Oscars for best film editing, deserved, for best dramatic score, the goat, and for best sound, which the sound is absolutely phenomenal in this film. It's perfect. That's all it won. Was it nominated for other things? It was nominated for best picture. It lost to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which if you're going to lose to any movie, it should probably be One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> Never seen it. Um, Spielberg snubbed legendary snub for best director. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm angry. There's a great video and you bet you're freaking bippy. I'm putting that right here right now. It's these two, I, I'm presuming gay Brooklyn, Brooklynites yelling and Steven sitting right there. And it's my favorite thing. And it sums up my feelings about Steven Spielberg being snubbed for Jaws. Who made the picture? Somebody's mother? The director. This man made yours. Are you kidding? Who's kidding who around here? This is a dark day in Hollywood. <laughs> Absolutely. Shining, this is a very this is dark, a dark day. day for our pal. The greatest picture of all time was made and they haven't recognized the, the director. director. Who made it? The shark? Folks, Austin Danger Podcast is often a show of harsh truths. Let's go through this list. The winner, of course, was Milos Forman for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, one of the great directing jobs of all time. The other nominees, uh, mm. a little old guy named Stanley Kubrick for Barry Lyndon, oh. one of the best directed movies of all time, so I'm told. Amar <laughs> um, Cord, Federico Fellini, his uh, memoir film he was nominated for. Wow. Um, I watched that actually recently. I gave it three stars. <laughs> I've been putting it <laughs> off. My opinion should matter in the 1975 Oscars, okay? They did a Fellini <laughs> program at MoMA, and I blew it Ooh. off. I blew it off. Or <laughs> either I blew it off or it's currently happening. I'm not quite sure what, which one. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the process of blowing it off. Uh, Sydney Lumet for Dog Day Afternoon. Wow. Pacino. It's an early Pacino. <laughs> and, uh, you know, friend of the show, Trey's favorite movie of all time, Robert Altman's Nashville. Robert Altman Holy for Nashville. Shit. So, I mean, look, if you're going to get snubbed, I think this is probably the year to get snubbed. Oh, my God. That is my truth. I have not seen really any of those movies. They're all on my list because, holy shit, they're all. What a year at the Oscars. Holy fucking shit. It was a massive year. I am sorry. And also thinking about how we're only a couple years after our beloved cabaret, right? Right. 1972, 1973, technically Oscars. What the 70s are such a good time for films. Good God. Yeah. Well, you know, the rest of life was so awesome at that time <laughs> that, uh, you know, it's the almost films, like, man. you know, it's funny living in living in cynical times creates great art. Funny how that happens. Oh, man. I still wish he would have gotten nominated. It would have been a much dessert, but obviously he's gone on to do good things. It didn't hurt him too I bad. Mean, he's okay. He's been, he made it out okay. He got his Oscars in time for, for truly <laughs> amazing work. Um, but whether we will ever talk about that on this show, uh, Outlook not so good on Schindler's <laughs> List. Um, anyway, 
Uh, it won a whole bunch of other stuff. John Williams' score won a Grammy, the BAFTA for Best Film Music, Ooh. and the Golden Globe. Um, Deserved. Yeah, absolutely crazy. And a whole bunch of other stuff I won't go into. Best Film Drama. Wow, that's crazy. It won Best Picture at the Golden Globes, Director and Ooh. Screenplay. Uh, he was Hell nominated yeah. for a DGA Award, and script writers were nominated for a Writers Guild of America Award. That's amazing. Uh, among well others. Deserved. But those are the big ones. All right, so that was the gold. Now we are moving on to the Alan Parsons Project, our Austin <laughs> Connection segment. This is where we're at with this. It's got to have a name. So for now, it is the Alan Parsons Project. Um, the Love connections it. for this movie, I have three here over the trilogy. Obviously, nice. the biggie is Steven Spielberg cameo in Austin Powers in Goldmember. Um, I don't need to tell you who this is. Uh, I would like to say some movies on the wheel of his. Uh, Duel, E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1941, The Adventures of Tintin, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, and the 2021 West Side Story, as well as many others that he has directed. They are all almost in in fair game. Um, here's the litmus test on what is on the wheel for Spielberg. Uh, if you think it would be fun to talk about on a goofy podcast about Austin Powers, it is on the wheel. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, another connection, the, the trumpeter, Malcolm McNabb, who's played on many of the great films of all time, including International Man of Mystery and Goldmember, likely in the opening credits of Goldmember, I would imagine. Um, mm-hmm, who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe he's the soloist who does that nice little flair in Soul Bossa Nova. Ooh, I don't, I don't I would know. I love that. I, what if he's the guy that does that? We'll never know. And the Jaws. Other credits on the wheel include the hotly anticipated future episodes, Spider-Man 2 and 3. Yeah. As well as Dr. Seuss's The Cat in the Hat. Um, <laughs> the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, Speed Racer, and the legendary yes. John Carter. Oh, fuck yeah. Luis DiTullio, hope I got that right, played the flute, most likely in the opening sequence of Goldmember. Other flautistry on the wheel includes Mouse Hunt, Mrs. Doubtfire, The Adams Family, The Rocketeer, and Patch Adams. Ooh, that's a good movies. It's biggies. Those are our connections. That is the Alan Parsons Project. Book is closed, but we have a little bit of a, there you are, you're over there, because we have one voicemail to share. So this is from Alan. He says, hello, McKenzie and Kev. Attached is my voicemail for the Jaws episode. Love, love, love this movie. Just wanted to send something in and say, you two rock, and I'd love to podcast with you someday. Anything's possible. Anything's possible, Alan. Everything everything is. Let's get into it. Hey, Mackenzie and Kev. This is Alan from Chats, a television podcast with a voicemail talking about Jaws, uh, which is a film that I have not seen in a long time. Probably, God, like seven or eight years, if not more. Um, But I immediately fell in love with it, and I'm so excited to talk about it. I'm so excited that y'all are covering it. I have a couple of brief notes. That iconic opening its opening scene at dusk has never truly mm-hmm. left my brain. It's just so beautifully shot. The lighting is on point. It's amazing. Um, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff about Jaws that not that too many people talk about, like how Robert Shaw and Roy Scheider were constantly fighting off-camera and how that kind of reflects <laughs> yes. in the film. You can see their characters Whoa. just don't super love each other. Um, of course, everybody talks about the legendary Rakoka shot when he sees the shark in the water and the like mm-hmm. plume of blood that comes out. Just amazing and so practical. Like everything we see today, that you could never dream of getting films that are as practically done as this. Um, 
there is that uh the of course the that's one bad hat harry which i've now re- like retroactively learned is the name of uh unfortunately brian singer's uh movie studio i think um or yep. one of the studios he, he's worked with oh. it's his um, production company of course spielberg naming the shark bruce after his lawyer which is also why uh bruce the shark is the name of the kid a guy in uh, finding nemo, nemo. Um, but yes, I, I didn't actually get to rewatch this time. I really wish I did, uh, get to rewatch before y'all recorded, but I wanted to chime in and say, um, that this movie was really pivotal for me in terms of going from, you know, that, that film nerd phase that a lot of us go through in like high school where you say, Oh, only independent movies are, are beautiful and like worth my time. And Mm. now I'm like, okay, so there are blockbusters that are super important and beautiful and iconic for a reason. And I wish yeah. that more movie nerds actually had that moment, to be honest with you. Um, Thank you. But yeah, um, I really appreciate yes. what y'all are doing out here. I really, really love the podcast. Um, Mackenzie, your editing in particular, is really incredible. And me as a, a podcaster myself, I, I'm trying to learn from your style here. Um, and your sense of humor is, is great. <laughs> and then, Kev, you're, I mean, buddy, you're just born. I feel like you came out of the womb born to be a host, um, which is just the true, a true yeah. fact about you. Um, so really Thank fun you. stuff. Even when the movies aren't good, I love that y'all still manage to find <laughs> things to like and things to find joy out of. So take care and much love. And yeah, baby, yeah. Oh yes, we got the impression. <sighs> Thank you, Alan. Oh my gosh, everybody, we will plug Alan's uh, pod in the show notes. Please check that out. Yes. Um, thank you, Alan. That was so freaking sweet. What the hell? Dear friend of the show, Alan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What the hell? Anything's possible. But that was the end of uh, there you are. You're over there. That's all we got this week. If you want to send us a letter or a voicemail about any movie we've covered about Austin Powers, at a, let us know what you had for lunch that day. I don't care. Send it to Austin Danger Podcast at gmail.com. Is it time? <sighs> My favorite time. So Woo-hoo-hoo. before we spin, I do want to say I had a couple hours to myself on Sunday and I have added so much to the list you would not believe kept it the damn thing there I added like a, an extra hundred movies onto this list the list is incomplete but is like 450 movies long there's so many journeys on it now movies. it's unbelievable it's unbelievable oh. what's happening here you know, I love every week when we get to spin, but I do like the weeks I get to spin because then I get to know the movie first. <laughs> and it makes me feel fun. Ooh. Oh my God. Right. It's true. It is better. It is it's better. It's fun because you, you get, get the power. And you don't feel that, that pit in your stomach. What did I promise <laughs> I would watch? All right. I am going to roll now. Okay, hold on. Let me do a Google. I know what this is. I want to say. I know what this is. I have never seen this movie. Oh, I'm just trying to think of how to describe it. Because I've never seen it. In honor of the film hags, imagine, pictured if you will, Catherine Bigelow's ex-husband. Oh my god. Already I'm like, oh, I'm like flushed. Arnold Schwarzenegger. In one of the most iconic science fiction action films of all time that I have never seen, I rolled The Terminator. Wow. Another <laughs> journey begins. 1984, James Cameron, a.k.a. Catherine Bigelow's ex-husband, 
all credit to the film hags for that amazing joke. Uh, I have, I know this exists. I know I'll be back. I know all the things everyone knows, but I have never seen this movie. Oh my God. Yes. That was one of the many that I added thinking there's no chance we'll get that. Who and connects next to it? Do- um, Stan Winston's special effects house worked on it. Wow. That's amazing. That's the big okay. one. There are a few other links. But I feel like special effects makes makes sense. Um, holy cow! Have you have you seen? I assume you've seen this movie, right? Based I, on your reaction. Now, Terminator Two. I love. I've only seen the first two. The whole series mm-hmm. links, by the way, everybody. So, uh, Genesis, uh, Salvation, Rise of the Machines, Dark Fate—they all link. Um, but I've never oh seen gosh. past two. So, okay. this is very exciting. Terminator Two is one of my favorite movies of all time. Terminator One Ooh. is damn good. And we've, it's begun. I can't believe it. Oh, setting me up. I'm going to go in, open mind. I know nothing about this movie. I will look up nothing. I will know nothing and I will watch it. And I'm excited. It, it does a great job of subverting your genre expectations from a series Ooh. like The Terminator. I'll leave it at that. Nice. Okay. Oh, okay, this is a, everybody. This is a biggie. Oh, my God. So if you want to watch along with us or rewatch along with us, it is streaming on Amazon Prime. And also available to rent on Apple, Vudu, YouTube, all the normal rental places. But uh, yeah, you can stream it on Amazon Prime. I can't believe this. This is insane. <laughs> this is nuts. The wheel. I'm obsessed with our podcast because I love that we get to just watch the most random shit every week. And I love it so much. And it's helping me fill all these blind spots in my, in my, my watches. Oh, man. I'm so excited. We'll be back. Yeah, it's going to be an absolutely insane week. Uh, folks, send your thoughts on The Terminator to AustinDangerPodcast at gmail.com. Again, to be included in there, you are. You're over there. <laughs> but until that day, and no day sooner, not one. From Mackenzie, this is Kev. Austin Danger Podcast, peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. <laughs>